Thanks very much for staying with us. Time now for Eye on Africa with me, Georgia Calvin-Smith. Tonight, South Africa plants seeds for a greener energy sector by announcing tax breaks for investors in clean power. Also, Namibia welcomes the US First Lady, Jill Biden, for a five-day tour of Africa. And I speak to a former Facebook content moderator who blew the whistle on the poor working conditions at the company that provided services for Meta. But first, South Africa's unveiled big tax breaks to boost investment in clean power. Details were also fleshed out for plans to bail out the ailing power utility ESCOM. Laura Berstecker tells us more. Hoping to rescue its failing energy sector, South Africa announced a series of new tax breaks and incentives to encourage investment in renewable energies. Businesses will be able to reduce their taxable income by 125% of the cost of investment in renewables. We will also introduce a new tax incentive for individuals to install rooftop solar panels to reduce pressure on the grid. Authorities also confirmed they would take on over half of the total debt of ailing national energy provider ESCOM. The company is responsible for an energy crisis that's led to widespread blackouts in recent months. After losing half of its production capacity in September, largely because of poorly maintained infrastructure, ESCOM began to implement scheduled power cuts, leaving millions without electricity. Earlier this month, President Cyril Ramaphosa declared a national emergency and appointed a special minister to tackle the crisis. But the blackouts have continued and South Africans have had to resort to increasingly creative means of keeping the lights on. Honestly, we are struggling. Um, most of the people are not working. So we are using paraffin, um, batteries and solar and candles. South African authorities have repeatedly failed to overhaul ESCOM, which is regularly accused of corruption and mismanagement. The company has received over 14 billion euros in bailouts since 2008, but the government warns this will be the last one. U.S. First Lady Jill Biden kicked off a five-day tour of Africa on Wednesday by first heading to Namibia. It's her first trip as First Lady and is part of her husband, U.S. President Joe Biden's bid to strengthen ties with the region. Her next stop will be Kenya, which is where Art Vivian Wandera is. Amid rising desires to grow relations between Africa and the United States, Jill Biden's first visit as First Lady will focus on the resolutions of the recent U.S.-Africa summit that was held in Washington, where President Joe Biden promised more engagements with Africa. She arrived in Namibia on Wednesday afternoon, marking the official beginning of her trip. On Twitter, the First Lady said that she will focus on the empowerment of women and youth and efforts to address food insecurity. She also wants to promote what she described as shared democratic values and to reaffirm the U.S. commitments in the future of the country. Well, we wanted to come because, uh, you know, this is a young democracy and we want to support democracies around the world. And um, we met each other in December and we're just continuing the relationship. Jill Biden's visit to Kenya will begin on Friday, where she will focus on drought response and also meet with her counterpart, the First Lady Rachel Ruto. Kenya is currently experiencing its worst drought in 40 years after five missed rain seasons. More than 4 million people have been affected, 
22 people died of hunger and starvation in 2022, and 23 counties are now food insecure. The trip will end on Sunday after three days in Kenya. Now, Nigeria is just days away from presidential elections and in the midst of multiple crises. One is the chaos caused by swapping out old notes from circulation with too few new ones available. On Wednesday, 16 states asked the Supreme Court to force a six-month extension on the deadline for using old notes. Another destabilizing factor is the Boko Haram insurgency that, since 2009, has displaced millions in the northeast. In Borno State, security improvements have led to a huge resettlement program with around 140,000 people leaving camps, but many still can't go home. After 10 years spent in camps, my Aji Kolo is learning how to live independently again. He's been rehoused by Borno State to Ono with his wife and seven children. They have a house that's protected by the military and an allowance equivalent to about 200 euros in food. I'm comfortable now because whenever I leave my house and come back, I meet my family in peace and the community live in peace as well, without any problems of insurgency. Zeda Musa still does not know when she'll be able to go back to her home on the shores of Lake Chad. Is still under threats from raids from Boko Haram extremists. Zainab admits she has not been following the election campaign. She and her husband live here in Maidina to camp without any assistance. They say they feel stuck. We can't go back because we don't have enough security. There are a lot of people that want to go back, but not enough security, and these people are still very much around. My husband and I have a lot of family members, and we can't afford to go back with no protection. Bono State has officially closed a dozen camps around Maiduguri. The aim of their relocation program is to revive abandoned communities that have been recaptured by the Nigerian army. The Foundation for the Support of Victims of Terrorism has financed and helped tens of thousands of displaced persons to return home. We knew that there was a risk, but we did not go in knowing that we are putting people's lives at risk, but knowing that the military, the security forces had given us the go-ahead to say that these communities that they are going back to are safe. It's still too early to judge the success of the rehousing of 140,000 people who so far have been moved from displacement camps. However, authorities in Maiduguri want to turn the page on the humanitarian crisis that's disrupted lives in the region for over a decade. At least five people were killed by Cyclone Freddy after it made landfall in Madagascar. Almost 17,000 people have been affected with about 4,500 homes damaged when it hit north of Mananjari. The coastal town is still devastated by last year's cyclone Batsirai, which killed more than 130. Freddy's now moving towards Mozambique, where it's expected to make landfall, probably as a tropical storm, on Friday. Now, Facebook's parent company, Meta, has appealed a Kenyan labor court's ruling that it could be sued by a local content moderator over working conditions and alleged psychological damage caused by exposure to graphic posts. The job had been outsourced to a company called Sama, which last month said it would no longer work with Meta. It disputes the Kenyan court's jurisdiction. The judge's original decision has also been hailed as a shot across the bow of big tech companies accused of not considering the well-being of those working for it for them on the continent. 
Earlier, I spoke to Daniel Mutang, the former content moderator who blew the whistle on Meta. Essentially, I, I don't want to sue uh, uh, Summer or anyone for that matter. The only thing that I'm looking for is justice uh, for content, moderator, um, uh, content moderators. I'm looking for fair treatment. I'm, I want to make sure that we get paid well and we get taken care of mentally because the job is really, really problematic. It, it causes us uh, PTSD. I, as I sit here right now, I am somebody basically who is recovering from PTSD because of the job. And when I say to them, let's talk about this, they don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And do you think that there's generally a, a lack of understanding of what it takes to be a content moderator? Yes, there is, because uh, the system is, 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 is basically right now in its current form, current content moderation is problematic, mm -hmm. of which is why I speak about the professionalization of content moderation, because it's not. Right now, it's precariously organized. And uh, 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 for that reason, you find that people get exploited because it, they are easily replaceable. You know, you don't have to... Uh, 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 I don't know, go and search, really search somewhere to find professionals who can actually do the job. And, and, and when, we, when some, something wrong happens, they come and blame content moderators and say, well, uh, content moderators are getting it wrong. Now we have war uh, in this particular region or country because uh, content moderators got it wrong. Why? Because we didn't get enough or proper training or we don't even have the right qualifications for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you feel that there was anything about the fact that the work that you were performing was in Kenya that led to the, the low standard of, of working conditions, the low pay and the, and the lack of support that you say has contributed to the psychological damage that you've suffered? Yes. Fact is, there's a difference between content uh, moderators in the global south and then content moderators in the uh, global north. We, from, from the south, basically... Uh, we are targeted because uh, that's cheap labor, cost-cutting mechanism. And everything, all the fancy, uh, you know, uh, structures or systems in, that are sort of like uh, in place, if you can say, if you like, uh, in, the, in, the, in the north are not there for us. Mm -hmm. They are not there. Our pay is terrible. Our, our, our contractual agreements, are, we are outsourced. The mere fact that we are, um, uh, you know, uh, treated, uh, 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 no, we are outsourced uh, labor, means that we are going to be treated as second-class citizens uh, uh, in, in, in this thing, whereas we are supposed to be located within the company so that we, we, we you know, get treated decently as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you think, is this a problem that you think is specific to content moderation or as, you know, Africa's digital evolution starts ramping up and that space starts you're creating more jobs. Is there a, a vacuum in terms of the protections in place for people doing digital jobs on the, the continent? The, there are no protections at all because right now I can tell you no one is even talking about content moderation in my country. No one is talking about content moderation in Africa except for Kenya maybe whereby the court is actually looking at this matter. Yes. And, and so how can labour laws better incorporate the needs and the risks faced by digital employees. Well, it's not going to happen now. Mm. Why? Because here I'm, I'm here for, for, for a UNESCO conference on the regulation of content moderation, which is great, wonderful. But um, because that is going to take a long time, it's simply going to take a long time because uh, I was hoping that uh, the conference would actually make sure that uh, it comes with a sample uh, legislation for countries to member states to sort of like follow suit and sample or, or, or work on that. But that is not going to happen now. So. I am trying, in fact, I, I'm thinking of a bottom-up approach whereby we'll try to basically try and 
come up with a working system that will protect both users and uh, um, uh, content moderators at the same time. And uh, unionization, professionalization of content moderation, and uh, the certification of content, modification, uh, content moderators is at the center of this. Mm -hmm. Daniel Motoing there, the former uh, content moderator uh, of Meta Content, who hopes to professionalize the space on the continent. Well, that's it for Iron Africa. Thanks for joining us. Do so again if you can. Till then, take care.